Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of All Things Russell on Laker Country 104.9. I'm Jeff Hoover, along with Tony Kerr, and uh, another edition here, Tony, of All Things Russell, the day before the Kentucky Derby, something that uh, uh, not only a tradition, but a little extra meaning this year for those of us in Russell County. Well, Jeff, the sun is shining bright on our old Kentucky <laughs> home today, I'll tell you. And uh, all eyes on uh, Louisville, Churchill Downs, Derby tomorrow, number 147. A uh, lot of interest in uh, uh, the horse coming out of the six hole. Dr. Barrett Bernard uh, bred that horse. And uh, as I heard on the news this morning, uh, you know, with the, the trainer, Greg Foley, uh, has connections here uh, to Russell County. Uh, Dravo Foley was his father, the late Dravo Foley, who uh, uh, trained horses for many, many years over in Oldham County and uh, ran horses all over. And uh, Dravo uh, ran a, a barn up there, my Uncle Fred Kearns. Uh, and my Uncle Joe, you know, they were involved in horses and uh, rode them. Uh, Fred trained for him for many, many years. Uh, knew Dravo well. Also, Jack Van Berg. Van Berg, of course, had uh, uh, Ali Sheba in 1987. Still my favorite horse, I think, of all, all time. Uh, other than uh, maybe a Secretariat. Yeah. I was a little one's uh, Secretariat one, but... Uh, you know, Obeso's tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Bernard, I think Terry Stevens has an interest uh, in that horse. And uh, yep. how, how great would it be for a Russell County to win the Kentucky Derby? Well, it's <laughs> created a lot of excitement uh, talking to some folks that work over at Stevens Pipe and Steel yesterday, actually. And uh, just, you know, just a buzz there uh, at uh, Stevens Pipe. His recent uh, ownership interest in that horse. And uh, as we said, Dr. Barrett Bernard, uh, the owner uh, of the horse and bred the horse. And uh, even today in the Kentucky Oaks, we have a Russell County connection. And our friend Carrie Smith up in Lawrenceburg uh, owns a horse, uh, Pass the Champagne, I think is the name of that horse. Um, and uh, a lot of great pedigree on that horse. I was reading earlier this week. So, uh, a Kentucky, a uh, Russell County connection in the Kentucky Oaks today and Russell County connection in the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. So, uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, if you want to watch us, uh, we are on Facebook Live on Facebook, uh, WJRS 1049 Laker Country. And, uh, you can watch our program here today. And, uh, we're very excited to have with us, uh, today our state representative, Josh Branscombe. Uh, glad to have you in the studio, Josh. Good morning, Josh. Uh, good morning. Good to be here, guys. I was sitting there thinking, I, I think the last time I was here, we were um, Coach Ron Richardson's show on a Thursday <laughs> night about to, about to hit a playoff game, but it's it's good to be back. Uh, looking at you, Josh, with a headset and microphone on, looks pretty natural, doesn't he, Tony? Yeah, it does. You're ready for football, aren't you? <laughs> ready for football. That's right. Always. That's right. Always and, ready. And, you know, guys, I, I've talked to Tony about this. I don't know if I've shared with Josh yet or not, but – uh, football season this year, we're going to be video streaming our games on Laker Country as well as you guys with the play-by-play -play and the color. So looking forward to putting all that together and uh, making that available for our Laker football and sports fans. And we'll continue that on uh, into basketball as well. If you do have a question uh, for Josh as we get through the program, uh, you can call us at 270 343 4444 343 4444 and uh, we'll be glad to uh, take your call but 
We uh, appreciate Josh and appreciate him being here with us this morning. Uh, we just want to talk about uh, the recently concluded uh, 2021 session, uh, your very first session in Frankfurt, and um, certainly it was a different time in Frankfurt because of the pandemic and the restrictions, Josh, but um, how'd you get along? Well, uh, it was very different, and you could probably speak how it, how it was, you know, before. And, you know, I'd been up to Frankfurt um, numerous times, been up to the Capitol and been into the annex and to, to committee rooms and, and had seen what the, you know, kind of that, the buzz there at the Capitol. And there was nobody. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was very unusual. You know, you could, you could be, you could be in the house chamber or right outside the doors of the house chamber and you could probably say a word and someone down at the other end of the Capitol, the Senate chamber would hear you. The echo effect. The echo yeah. effect. And um, it, it was odd not seeing people there. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the some of the legislators said, you know, you freshmen, you got cheated. <laughs> yeah. You know, not not yeah. really get, getting to go through that. But, you know, and, and I did miss not ha being able to have people come up and see you. And, you know, having having your constituents come up, having school groups come up and, yeah. you know, some of those things that that typically happen. But um, but there there was some positives out of it. I mean, we were able as legislators, we were able to communicate better. You know, you could be out in the hall and have conversations and, you know, there wasn't a ton of people around you. And, and um, you know, as far as as lobbyists, I mean, they had to schedule an appointment. Um, it was only 15 minutes was the max that they had. They had to stay out, stay out of the annex. You had to go down there physically, get them, take them to your office, and after the meeting, take them back down. Really? It was it was pretty locked down. So no lobbyists hanging around in the reception area, out in the hallways like normal. Though. Very rare. Yeah, Is very rare. rare. Uh, most of the time, if you did see one out there, it was because they were they were about to go meet with someone else. Yeah. But but for the most part, I mean, they were escorted the whole time, and you had to. Like I said, physically go down, get them at the on the first floor, and take them back up to your office. Fifteen yeah. minutes, and then and then it's that's it. That, that is a big. That yeah, is that's a, big, a change. big change. And and these were changes that were, I guess, implemented or put in place by the LRC, the House and Senate leadership. It was, yeah, yeah it was, and it, and it was just, um, you know, it it was just to protect everyone because I mean, think about this: all it would take would be for for one member to potentially get COVID, yeah. and then think of all the people that would have to quarantine yeah and so it, it was very it was just preventative um and like i said it, it had it had its positives it had its negatives and you know people always talk about lobbyists and but you know as well as i do there's some good ones out there yeah. they're going to tell you all right here's the good about a bill here's the bad about the bill yeah and uh there are there are some good ones out there and sometimes you do rely on their kind of their perspective or their client's perspective and, and kind of getting the full story on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lobbyists are essential to the process. And as you said, some people have a negative connotation of lobbyists, but the truth of the matter is the legislative process would come to a grinding halt mm -hmm. if it were not for the participation and engagement and involvement of lobbyists because they have that unique perspective and you learn quickly the good ones and as you said the good ones tell you the good the bad and the ugly and those that just want to tout their respective positions uh, you quickly learn them too so uh, yeah I, I hate that 
that you missed out on some of that, but maybe things will get back to normal come January for the regular session. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, I look at it, too, as being a freshman and, and coming in. It actually allowed us to, as I mentioned earlier, communicate a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, we would have freshman caucus meetings. And just to, just to we just sit in the room. Um, what are your questions? And that was really beneficial. We'd have bill review in the mornings, but also um, the two days a week we'd have freshman caucus. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that was very beneficial. I don't know that if, if everyone had meetings scheduled, um, you know, with, with the way it was before, you know, your mornings are just booked, booked, booked with, yeah. with meetings and uh, with uh, lobbyists or others. And I think that if it would have been that way, um, it might have been a little bit tougher. Um, this this uh, allowed, even though it was different, this allowed us to adapt a little bit quicker um, because we had a lot to do in a 30-day session. Yeah. And um, I think this, this really helped with that. What committees, Josh, uh, did you get placed? Uh, transportation, small business, and tourism, which those were those were my top three asks because you look at our area, yeah. tourism. I mean, we all know what, what tourism does for mm -hmm. us. Transportation, we all have transportation needs, so that's, that's a good one. And then small business. I mean, we have a lot of small business here in, in our area, and that was my, my top three, and I got my top three. So I was very pleased with that. and, and in, enjoyed that committee process what uh what was your biggest surprise you said you'd been up there some lobbying and following certain legislation in in your line of work but what was your biggest surprise about the legislature and i don't know if the, i don't know if this was unique to this session um but i think we had almost 800 bills get filed in a, yeah. And I don't know in a short. You could probably speak in a short session. I don't know if that's typical or if that's that's probably a little top heavy. I mean, yeah. normally six six fifty. I was I was very surprised at the speed in yeah. which things move, and I think I think a lot of times there's a perception that you know you get to Frank that people were up there in Frankfurt, you know, just sitting in our offices and you know not not doing it. Man, it's it's moving fast which I like. I like that. I mean, it, you know, every day it's just, you know, it gets your adrenaline going. And yeah. um, I like that. And, and one of the things I heard uh, is the rule was changed that bills only had to receive one reading. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so there was a change in the rules, and a lot of that was due because we had to pass a budget in the short session. So yeah. a lot of time was going to be um, – spent on trying to get that budget process out yeah and and just for listeners um information i guess or education on that normally before a bill is considered for final passage there ha it has to be read three separate days uh and and the reasoning behind that it gives people an opportunity to really study it and uh, folks who may have a particular interest uh, for or against have time to lobby and talk with legislators about it uh, and that has been the rule forever and it was changed where a bill only had to have one reading and and a lot of criticism i know from uh, media and lobbyists and and others about that because 
it just did not give time uh, for folks to participate. They were already limited, and it didn't give them time. But as you explained, there was reasons for that. Hopefully, it'll go back uh, to the old way uh, next year. Uh, we're talking with State Representative Josh Branscombe here on All Things Russell, Jeff Hoover, Tony Kerr. And again, you can watch our program on Facebook Live. And if you have a question or comment, uh, please feel free to give us a call, 343 343- 4444. And uh, uh, Josh, you said it was an unusual session because there was a budget to be dealt with uh, last year. The legislature, instead of enacting a two year budget as we have done uh, for 200 years in this state, enacted a one year budget. So you had to go back and do another one year budget. Uh, how was that process? Well, like I said, everything moves quick, yeah. and um, it was. I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed just seeing how the process works, and um, you know, we did have a, had to do a one year budget, and we'll come back into session uh, in January and do a two year budget. Uh, but but the budget process, you know, our budget this year was more of a continuation budget of what what you all passed last year, yeah. and um, there were a few there were a few strategic changes that were made, but. Uh, for the most part, it was a continuation budget, and the reason for that is um, it's hard right now to get a gauge on Kentucky's economy, and we always want to be conservative, and we're fiscally conservative, so you always want to be conservative with the dollars, the taxpayers' money, um, but we we took a very, um, we were optimistic, but just a very cautious approach because so much of our economy over the past couple of years or over the past year has been federal funds, you know, a lot of, lot of federal money coming into the, to the mm-hmm. state. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get a, it was hard to get a gauge on um, what the true state of our economy is. And so because of that, we passed, uh, it was more or less a continuation budget of what you all did last year. And and put a record amount of money into the rainy day fund. I, I think right. We did. Yeah, um, I think we're over nine hundred. I think it's nine hundred fifty million, nine hundred fifty-eight million, yeah. somewhere around there. And prior to, um, it was four. I think we're in the four hundred millions in the rainy day fund. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, most economists would say if you're in that two percent range of your budget, which is about four hundred million, that you know that's uh, that's where you want to be for a solid financial rating, uh, but man, to double that, um, you think there'll be some pressure next year from folks to spend some of that money? I think so. I think that you know having that nine hundred million sitting in there, and like I said, this is going back to being just we're optimistic, but we're cautious. Yeah. Um, I think I think there could be some uh, pressure. All right, let's let's turn some of that money loose. Um, but you know, this year we were able to uh, do some things with the budget that, um, um, and make some investments in areas that, like all day kindergarten. You know, we put 140 million to fund all day kindergarten, yeah. um, and I know that's been a big, a big want across the state, and and uh, that just allows, like Mr. Ford. You know, we fund the all day kindergarten. That just frees up funds for him to use you know, in other areas that, that he would like to use those. Um, so that, that was a big, that was a really big one that, that, um, it was a big one across the the state was all day kindergarten funding. It was interesting, uh, as I read media accounts, um, 
Tony, it seemed like um, the all-day kindergarten funding was hanging out there, but certain leaders uh, weren't going to pass that unless other things got done first. Uh, were you surprised by that? Is that, or did you just take that as part of the process, or, or was that a little bit too much? I'd be interested to know what you thought about that. Um, I think just learning the going through the process. Yeah. Um, I think that was just for me. I see that as just part of the process, yeah. um, and. Uh, I think it ended up just going back um, and being on its own. It got pulled out of out of a bill, but yeah. Um, but yeah, to me that w- I just seen that as part of the process and just part of you know how to get things done and get some bills passed. Biggest disappointment? Oh man, <laughs> I'd have to say probably the unemployment insurance issue. Yeah. Um, from from what way or? The fact that, I mean, every morning, every morning when I'd get to my office, the first thing I do is I always check my green slips. And the green slips is where people from the district, for those listening, the green slip is where you can, you can contact our office and leave a comment on a bill that you're either for or against and, you know, why you're for or against that. So the first thing I always do every morning, I go in and I just, I read my green slips and just try to hear what, you know, the people in my district are saying about certain bills that are out there. The emails and the stories that we heard as legislators from folks who had not got their unemployment insurance checks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Break your heart, man. Yeah. Absolutely break your heart. And the unfortunate thing is that the legislative branch, uh, unemployment insurance falls under labor, which is under the executive branch. Two separate, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's separation of, of powers there. So we were somewhat limited in in what we could do. And just having to talk with people and, you know, um, speak with them like, I'll do everything I can possibly do to help you. And and just explaining to them kind of that, that separation. But you were very limited in what you could do. Yeah, very limited. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would, we would get it down to constituent services. They'd pass it on to to uh, unemployment insurance and after that you don't you don't know what happened yeah and you know they get put in the queue and when their when their time comes it comes and that was i think that was a that was uh disappointing yeah and and i say i'm not gonna say disappointing it was disappointing but it was very um it was sobering you know just to hear those to hear those stories and and uh you know you take those stories home Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you think when you lay down at night, that's what you're thinking of. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of money out there. The federal government had pumped so much money. It was there. Just the system had failed the people. Any plans or discussion uh, uh, from from the House maybe to uh, address that issue in the future? Uh, as you said, it is, uh, it's under the executive, the governor. Uh, but... Uh, the, the spending starts with you all, right? And uh, you can certainly uh, control that. Any talk about uh, maybe trying to revamp the way that or uh, the unemployment operates? I know, I know, the executive blamed the legislature for making cuts over the, uh, you know, several years ago and closing those regional offices. Uh, any discussion on uh, maybe how to fix it? Yeah. So I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but there was money put back into that. Um, there was. Um, regional sites that are open now and there was a law passed that if if a um, 
if an area's unemployment rate falls or increases over 5% that they have to be, you know, have to be open and operational. So there were some things done that, um, say like Russell County a few years ago when Fruit of the Loom closed, Yeah, you know, and unemployment here skyrocketed because we lost all those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what happened a few years ago when unemployment was statewide was at record lows and had been for several years, the legislature decided to close and not fund unemployment offices around the state. And, you know, it, I think left three or four statewide or something, but closed 15 or 18. Uh, and then when the pandemic hits and unemployment claims soar through the roof, uh, one, there's not manpower out in the state to handle those claims, and the system wasn't set up to handle, you know, the thousands and thousands of claims that came in every day, and um, it could have been handled better, absolutely, uh, but at the same time, the system wasn't set up to handle such large numbers, and, and that's why, you know, we had the, the mess <laughs> that we had. Um Something I know you worked on was election reform uh, with Secretary Adams. Um, tell us what that actually does. Yeah, so this was, and I can kind of tell you the story about how this came about, uh, would probably help in the understanding. So for people listening don't know, I had some prior service on the Kentucky State Board of Elections um, and actually resigned from the state board to file for office. You can't, you can't be running for office right. and be on the state board. Um, so... I had worked, actually Mike, uh, Secretary Adams was on the Kentucky State Board of Elections as well, and we had worked together when we were on the board. So the Secretary, well first, the State Board of Elections had some, had some things that they wanted to see uh, cleaned up, uh, some language and law that they would have liked to see, see cleaned up. wasn't, um, and they asked if I'd carry a bill on that, and I said, sure, be happy to. Well, Secretary of State, uh, I met with him, and he had a list of items that he would like to have seen to see implemented uh, into a bill. Also, uh, Representative Jennifer Decker, uh, she previously had worked for Senator Rand Paul. Well, she was she had pulled a bill request and was putting in some uh, language into a bill uh, on some items that Secretary Paul or uh, Senator Paul wanted to see done. And then Representative James Allen Tipton had been contacted by the county clerks. And so it just happened. We had all these different groups that were wanting some, some form of uh, election reform or an election bill. And, you know, we sit there and debated whether to put that all in one bill and run it mm -hmm. as one or whether we separate it out. Um, our concern was if we separated it out, just the timing and getting it through the House, getting it through the Senate, and being, uh, we started to see what, what it was possibly going to be. We thought that it was going to, it would be better to run that. It's just, so we pulled together Secretary of State's office, State Board of Elections, uh, County Clerks Association, um, Secretary Adams, his staff, and, and him as well. Uh, we all had a meeting together in one of the committee rooms. And what we did was we went around to each, each person had to bring a list of what their priorities were for their, their, their election bill, if they were gonna have their own individual bill. And what we did was we took, there were some commonalities between every single one of those. 
Now the state board, some of their language was cleaned up, so you know it, that was that was pretty easy. But there were some commonalities between each group, and what we did was we took each one of those items and put them into the bill. And uh, we probably have, um, I'd say, Secretary Adams said it's probably the largest election reform bill mm-hmm. is is what he says. But uh, just to mention a few things that. Uh, that this bill does. And and one important thing is, you know, we talk about COVID and there's so many negatives to COVID. One thing that it did force us to do was to think outside of the box as far as how we conduct elections. So what we did was we, we took a number of the items that people really liked um, this last year when we were voting. Uh, we took the, a number of those issues and we put them into this election bill. And, and made those laws. So a couple of things just to hit on. Um, you can now vote on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in person. Uh, no excuse. You don't have to have an excuse. And prior to the Tuesday election. Prior to the Tuesday election. And that date fluctuated. Um, some county clerks wanted 10 days in person. Um, some wanted just a Saturday of early in person. And there was a cost impact to that. You know, and that puts, uh, and so we we had to be cognizant of that, and so kind of that happy medium point was Thursday, Friday, Saturday before the election, and Monday. Skip Monday. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the reason for that, when we were in our focus group and we were all sitting there talking, the clerks like to have that Monday catch your breath and and get ready. Yeah. So that that was, and you know, when I was out campaigning, I was talking to people like, "How do you like the?" You know the process or how did you like the process and a lot of them really liked the early in-person voting sure yep. uh, where you just don't have six to six on on tuesday that's it you know or absentee um so that was a big change to to the election and uh, election law and i think i think that's going to be a, a, a very very positive step if you'll remember to request an absentee back this past election you had to go through an online portal. Um, we've kept the portal. The portal shuts down 14 days prior to uh, election day. And the reason we did that, it used to be seven days was the last day to request an absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. But what we found was the timing of the mail system. And there were people who were filling out an absentee. Because you got to think about it, you got put, you got to send in your application mail that back to the clerk clerk sends you your ballot then you got to mail that back they weren't getting them seven day period yeah i mean that's that's tough um so we bumped that out to 14 days um is the last day to request that absentee ballot and what the portal does uh the portal allows us to track those absentee ballots uh but what it also does it takes out the application process that first application process for an absentee ballot so we've essentially cut out three or four days of that process because when you've put your information into the portal, that is your application. It's there. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you say track the absentee, you're, you're not talking about <clears throat> to see who actually has done it. You're talking about just the number. So there's a barcode system. There's, okay. we kept, this is one of the other things that we put on. So in, on your absentee ballot, there's a barcode. It's mm-hmm. unique to you. That's scanned when it's mailed out. Um, and it's scanned when it's received. And so we know, or I say we know, 
the state board knows in real time where the ballots are. Yeah. And that's part of the portal process. Uh, but but that was a positive. That was something that the county clerks really liked because it just saves them from having to go through that application yeah. process. And we took the, uh, if you remember in this past election, you could request an absentee ballot just because you wanted one, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, fear of COVID or whatever that may be. It goes back to the old, uh, the older um, reasons for why you can request some that. legal reason, some reason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to be out of town, uh, but, but now you have to be out of town on the three early days of voting and election day or, you know, for, for health reasons or whatever that may be. There's a few reasons there why you can request an absentee. So we took it back to that, to that. Um, you, you took it back to the original reasons for the absentee, but right. now you have to certify that you're just not unavailable on election day. You're unavailable on the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday exactly. before. Exactly. A yeah. uh, couple other things real quick. Um, the vote centers. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can, I think ours was up here at the RECC. You know, you could go in, didn't matter what precinct you were in, you could go in and vote. Uh, vote centers are, are in. Uh, the drop box, you know, where people could go and actually drop bo- drop off their absentee ballot, that is in there as well. So, But they have to be monitored under surveillance um, and uh, no electioneering within 100 feet of the drop box. Mm-hmm. Ballot harvesting, we put criminal penalties on ballot harvesting i know that's that's always a big thing and uh out-of-state voters if uh, the state board or the or the uh, secretary are notified that they uh, they've moved out of state you can take them off and there wasn't just a whole process in having to do that but once they're notified they can take that's them something off, yeah. you hadn't had before you had a whole list i know you, yeah. you were on the board you told me there was a whole bunch of there was thousands of names that needed to be purged and uh the previous secretary wouldn't do it. Some would say hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands that yeah. needed to be taken off our rolls. Need to be taken off. Yeah, those have been taken off. Now, uh, sec- if you, um, y'all may get sec- uh, Secretary Adams's email. He easily every month he'll send what the how many Republicans, Democrats, Independents, others, yeah. those, uh, and then how many were taken off the rolls. So he's doing an excellent job in trying to get our voter rolls uh, cleaned up. But you know it's a hurdle for sure. A um, couple other things, just real quick phasing our election systems to paper ballots having that backup um, we didn't require the county clerks to right now go purchase you know um, equipment that can handle a paper ballot but what we did do was say any new election equipment that you buy needs to be able to have a paper ballot and that that allows us to perform and i say yes i keep i'm speaking state board yeah um that allows um that allows for risk limit auditing, allows us to go back and see, you know, uh, have that paper trail. And that, you know, that just helps with the integrity of the election. A lot of good changes in the election law. Kudos to you, Josh, for well, your involvement and participation in that. Uh, it was interesting as, as uh, that was going on, it was passed, you know, Secretary Adams, and rightfully so, getting, you know, nationally acclaim and and credit around the country and and as i said rightfully so um but yet you had some within the republican party his own party of saying it you know it did too much and and all of this and you even had initially some in frankfurt some republican leaders in frankfurt i'm thinking of senator damon thayer 
who loves nothing better than to be partisan, bless his heart. Uh, and he was very partisan at the beginning, but you all were able to bring everybody together and get something done that's getting, you know, uh, getting credit around the country. It is. And, and that was, there was such a, I'm not going to say an education process because most people who are in Frankfurt know how elections, you know, generally work, but it took a lot of, you know, sitting down, meet with people, explaining why we do, why these things are in the bill. And the election security, I mean, it's, it's, it's at the, I mean, it's, it's the number one thing for us is that election security. But being able to explain that, look, there's security measures that are built in to this bill. We were able to strengthen the security of our elections and still allow for access to voting. Increased access. Increased access to voting. Mm-hmm. So it was a balancing act there. Um, and, you know, and, Sen- and Senator Thayer, he, you know, at first he was a little bit hesitant and, and you know, raising a lot of questions about the bill. And um, uh, there were a few meetings there. And, and I think I think what's kind of understood a little bit better and, and why these things were in there, um, he, he uh, came around on it. You know, Josh, one thing that uh, I don't understand with these other states and the you know, like in Georgia, you hear about their election, their their bill, or it's law down there now, and they're catching so much flack. What's wrong with asking for an identification for someone when they come to vote? And you know, in Georgia, they say that disenfranchises people. And you know, they can, everybody can get an ID, uh, and if for, for voting purposes, it's free. And when you come in and get an ID in the for now in the circuit clerk's office, of course, going to those regional offices, it'll say free ID for voting purposes. But I don't see why, why people have a problem with people asking you if, if the election workers don't know me, I should be able to produce an ID. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, don't, I don't see an issue with that. Um, no. I think that... But certain I, groups say uh, they're disenfranchised by it. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, I think that's just... It's too easy to get an ID, you know, or a form of identification. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I mean, if you go open a bank account or if you go do whatever, I mean, you have to have an ID. Think mm-hmm. about all the things you have to have an ID for. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I disagree with that. When we were – you were talking about to get national headlines, this bill, uh, we were contacted by the New York Times, uh, just Washington Post, a lot of uh, different groups. I've been talking with uh, – speaking with – uh, other representatives from from across the country in their state look wanting to do something similar to what we have done, um, but a lot of times you get asked that question, especially in the news. What do you think about Georgia? You know, mm-hmm. and I always wait for that question. <laughs> yeah, like I right, know it's coming. I know right. it's coming. Yeah, and you know, I just I always just comment. Look, I've I've not even read their bill, and I'm not going to speak on what a you know what another state's yeah, doing. Good for you. Yeah. Um, you're listening to All Things Russell on WJRS. Jeff Hoover, Tony Kerr, along with our special guest today, State Representative Josh Branscom. We're discussing the 2021 legislative session. And again, you can watch us on Facebook Live. And if you have any questions, uh, comments, uh, feel free to give us a call, 343-4444. Uh, Josh, I got a text asking... What about the gas tax? Uh, it was not passed. Is it going to pass next year? Good question. 
um, so the gas tax, uh, that the bill got filed. There was a lot of conversation, even down to sine die to the last day of um, passing it. Mm-hmm. Was it ten cents? Ten cents, yeah. And that's on the wholesale price, not the retail price. And and the the um, one of the one of the things in the bill, and this is something we, I mean, we've got to think about is the you know the hybrid vehicles that are getting mm-hmm. forty miles a gallon or whatever it is, and then you know there's so many more uh, electric vehicles, GMs trying to pretty much phase out gasoline by i think 2030 yeah by 2030 gm and maybe volkswagen someone else have announced no all vehicles will be electric so think about what that does to the the um, how many gallons of gas are being bought which goes into our road fund and and explain the significance of that uh the road fund which funds Bridges and roads and pavement and everything in the state road system is funneled by and large through the gas tax. Right. So when gas consumption goes down, as it is, because of electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles, as and it will continue to go down. I mean, it is a fact. It's going to continue to go down, gas consumption. Therefore, revenues go down. And uh, I assume you heard from county judges (laughs) and city council members and mayors who want you to vote for a gas tax so they can get more money. Yes, Um, (laughs) and 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 that's understandable. But yeah, you you nailed it right there. And you know, there's less gas being consumed. That's less money going in. I mean, talking about building new roads, having a hard time even maintaining the roads we have. Yeah. And and that's that's such a that's such an issue and everybody everybody there knows this is an issue. We're gonna have to tackle this. Yeah. The I think the feeling this year was that as I was talking earlier, every morning you're getting these unemployment insurance oh, yeah. uh yeah. emails from people. And that's what sticks with you. People who are struggling. No, week daily, daily, not weekly, but daily, daily, yeah. daily, and um, you hear those stories, and then it's like, by the way, I'm going to put a gas tax on you. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough, and that was, I think, some of that was the holdup of of moving forward with that. However, there was discussion that, and and I'd heard this, you know how statistics are. So 86% of statistics are not right. <laughs> you understand the joke in that. But, uh, but, but I'd heard that 40%, and you may have heard this too, 40% of our gas tax money comes from out of state, people passing through. Right. I don't know if that's the number. Um, I it's high. It's I mean, high. Yeah. Um, so really trying to, to capture that, to capture um, the electric vehicles, the hybrid vehicles, with a higher fee on the on the up on the upfront, um, really trying to hit that. But there was talk also of doing a um, a rebate. So if um, if you keep your receipts every time you get gas, that that ten cent increase, you could submit that to Department of Transportation, and you a check back for what you paid in that uh, for mm-hmm. that increase in gas tax. 
So there was talk of that as well to kind of help offset, you know, some of that struggle of, of increasing the yeah. gas tax. Do you think it'll be voted on next year? I think it could. Yeah. I really do. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks who are like, it's election year, people aren't going to vote for a tax. But we, we got to do something. Yeah. Something's got to be done. And what form or fashion that is, whether that's just an incremental change, we start with, you know, the electric vehicles and the hybrids and, and just kind of work our way through it if it's incremental. But I think that most folks feel that if we're going to pass a gas tax, pass the gas or let's do it yeah and um this year it was just it was tough it was yeah. really tough so. has there been any discussion on uh, maybe ways to to tax uh, the electric cars that uh, you know the electric cars uh, and of course you know when i pay the gas tax i'm paying basically to use the road and, and i wear it out and i'm going to help fix it right uh, an electric car is not paying that tax by buying gas but they're still using the roads any discussion on uh, potential ways to to tax uh, those electric vehicles yeah so most of what we most i believe of what was uh in the bill had to do with um uh, the yearly uh registration you know paying going and paying uh, at the at the clerk's office, but I think that's where most of that was going to be at. They're looking at different ways in which other states are are taxing, you know, the electric vehicles and and the hybrids, and and um, I think right now, you know, Representative Santoro, this has been his been his baby for quite a while, hasn't yes, Jeff? Yeah, and, several years. And he's you know he works on it. I mean, that's that's usually his bill, and um, he's he's really he's done a good job of of adapting and, and changing the language uh, as we go so josh uh, while we're talking about driving and, and things like that uh cumberland parkway a bill passed uh it's uh, now the cumberland expressway yes. L- the louis b nunn cumberland expressway no longer a parkway uh you know got a little little uh little play but tell us a little bit about that change and, and why uh that that was made yeah so um the cumberland expressway this gets us a little bit closer to that federal designation uh, that that we want, and I believe Jeff, I believe it's I six. It'll be an I sixty six corridor. Yeah. Yep. Um, Which Hal Rogers has been working on for a couple of decades for, for quite a while, and um, so it just gets us a little bit closer to that that um, uh, that highway and 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 that federal designation. What that does is. Um, the the it'll be under federal the road will be a federal road uh now instead of a a state road um, once we get to that that federal designation but it also you look at this from an economic development standpoint if a company is looking at relocating here to russell county or wherever that may be and they see well we're right along the i-66 you know corridor yep that 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 changes the ball game a little bit as far as you know economic development and growth. So this is this was a, a, a good step in that direction, and I know Jeff worked on that too when when he was uh, when he was in office as well. And we were just talking before the show roads move road anything having to do with transportation roads seems to move very slow. Uh, but this was a good step in that direction, so really happy with that. And you have to change uh, to to get into that federal system, the the on and uh, off ramps. They have to be a straight shot, no clover leaf like we had. That's why ours a few years ago were taken up just for this purpose. Correct? That's correct. And um, as we were talking before the show, we think I think Edmonton is one of the only clover leaves right. left. So 
And those aren't cheap to, to redo, Jeff. What was that, $7 million? About yeah, seven for here? I'm, I don't recall, but I know that it was not inexpensive. Uh, it was a, it was pretty, uh, pretty significant expense. Uh, you know, initially when the uh, toll booths were removed, what happened, there was still money owed uh, by the state for the initial cost of those toll booths. And Congressman Rogers, as part of I-66 uh, project, was able to leverage federal funding that paid off that bonded indebtedness that the state owed on the toll booths. And that's how they were removed early. And they were just removed with no changes made to the on and off ramps. And it was very dangerous. And um, so then to make those additional changes, the state was primarily responsible, but I believe there was some federal contribution, but it wasn't inexpensive. It, it did cost some money. Josh, we have a question here. Uh, well, I had it. Now I've lost it. Um, see if I can pull it back up. What are Josh's thoughts on the other election reforms in Georgia beside the, beside the photo ID? I'm more concerned with the other absurd rules in that law. I, I don't know specifically what they're talking about. Maybe, yeah. maybe you do. And, and as I said earlier, I've I've not read Georgia's bill, and um, if if I had, I, I would probably comment on it. But <laughs> you know, I've I've learned pretty quick. If you don't know what's in the legislation, you probably better yeah. better not comment yeah. on it. But but you know, I. I I think I think Kentucky. I know Kentucky is taking steps in the right direction with uh, with our election law, and um, just that's what's important. That's what's important. I'm really proud of, of what we did. And the key yeah. thing there is secure. You want the yes. elections to be yes. above anything else, secure, and that people have confidence in the 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 system. Right. It was um, what I would say a really good session for horse racing industry in Kentucky. Um, would you agree? Sure was. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, you know, you uh, put to rest uh, to a large degree the issue of the historical racing, uh, the video lottery term terminals, the VLTs, as they're referred to. All of that seems like it was put to rest and uh, um, just a really, really good session for the horse industry and folks like Churchill Downs and others who have invested hundreds of millions of dollars and now have an opportunity to invest even more yeah it was and uh probably referring to senate bill 120 i am yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. with the parimutuel wagering and um you know that and i think you voted no right? i did yeah. i voted no on that um we can throw names at what these machines are they're slot machines yeah they're slot machines I mean, i've said that for a long time yeah whatever yeah i mean we'd have historical <laughs> racing sounds good but it's a slot machine yeah and and you know it, it uh, well obviously would come up and be like you know where you at with sb120 on the historical i said it's slot machines guys come on that's what it is yeah um, and um you know my what what really disappointed me about about that and i think we all know that i mean horse racing is our signature industry mm-hmm and I mean, gosh, to think about tomorrow. I mean, it's what what mm -hmm. that means just across the world. And how many jobs? It's so many jobs in this so state, more than jobs. people realize. But here you've got um, you've got these machines, these slot machines, that have been in question for ten years. Yep. 
and have they've been repeatedly told just this is a warning you know warned that these may not be legal mm-hmm. but but they continue to operate well and they continue to operate because the Kentucky Supreme Court sat on it yeah they sat on it you know they were they didn't want to make a decision they were hoping the legislature would make a decision and the legislature wasn't going because the leaders and the powers that be didn't want to touch it because Churchill Downs was happy. Keeneland was, you know, everybody was happy the way it was. And then finally then, I guess September, October, maybe a little earlier, Kentucky Supreme Court, after several years, as you said, Josh, made a decision, said they're illegal. And so the legislature then had to do something. Yeah, and so, and, and all of this at the tune of, I believe, I believe the number is around eight hundred million dollars of Kentuckians' money that had been that had been taken in on these machines, and so my issue with that, a couple. First, it was it was pitting against horse industry jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't vote on this, if you don't vote for this, then. These many people are going to be out of a job. That's the way it was being phrased to you. That's the way yeah. it was being phrased to Which is unfair. That's unfair. Yeah. And my other issue was that with that was you've been doing something for eight, ten years, whatever the time frame was, that you know is in question and mm-hmm. that you know probably does not fit the definition of what's legal in Kentucky. But you continue to operate. And the Supreme Court says what you're doing is wrong, or it's not wrong, but it's not legal. And so then you want us to legislate you into mm-hmm. being legal. I just have a problem with that. And and the other thing is, all that money that they've made over those several years, there's no legislation to recoup any of that. No. It was a windfall. Yep. So they were allowed to continue to operate, which everyone was saying it's probably not legal. They were do it because the Supreme Court wouldn't make a decision. The legislature wouldn't act until the Supreme Court told them what to do. And so they continue to make millions and millions and millions of dollars with no financial benefit to the state. And the tax rate that they were... From the tax standpoint. Yeah, and the tax rate that they were... I can't remember what it was. It's stupid low on what they're they're paying on those those, uh, funds. So... Was there much discussion about that? I mean, you look at uh, the leaders of that issue and their connection to the horse industry. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to notice what happened. But but was there much discussion and debate, or uh, they just got the votes and they went ahead? As far as on Senate Bill One debate, okay, yeah, I I think I think uh, the night that it passed. I want to say we were on the House floor for probably three or four hours just talking about that one bill. Um, so there was a lot of debate. I think you'll see um, this next session. I think we're going to be looking at the taxes mm-hmm. uh, that are going to go along with that um, uh, because they need to be paying their share of the taxes. Yeah. Got a text question here from a constituent. How would I contact Josh if I wanted to talk to him? about changing the law regarding signatures on marriage certificates being notarized. 
uh, yeah, shoot me an email and okay. and and uh, give us your contact yeah, information. Um, so my email is Josh dot Branscom. So pretty easy to remember there. Josh dot Branscom at lrc dot dot gov. And I usually always try to to respond to emails. So. Um, um, Jeff, you know the volume of oh, emails yeah. that, we, that we get, and uh, but but I'll uh, you know be happy to to talk with them okay. on that. And you know, right now we're in the interim, so this is the time to be to be uh, talking through some of those issues. Yep. Again, uh, we're talking with State Representative Josh Branscombe on all things Russell and uh, Tony. Before I forget it, I want to mention real quickly next Friday. Uh, really looking forward to our program as we're going to be talking about the history of Rowena or Rowini. 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 Rowena, however you want to say it, depend on your particular choice. But uh, David Cross, an Albany attorney, historian, uh, has just a plethora of information on Rowena that he's going to be sharing with us. And also joining us, uh, uh, Tony Sloan. Tony. Uh, a fixture in Clinton County in the Lake Cumberland area for many, many, many years. Former owner of Grider Hill Dock, recently built the uh, marina at Rowena. And uh, Tony has so much information about Rowena and the history and before uh, the dam and the Cumberland River. And, and uh, we're really, really looking forward to having David and Tony both here in our studio with us next week. And uh, we've been talking about it a little bit on the radio this week. And I've had some folks uh, express their excitement about that program uh, just to talk about the history of Rowena. Jeff Rowena, along with the other landings, uh, played such a vital role uh uh, just in the, the formation of Russell County. And, uh, you know, you take Creelsboro and uh, some of the others, the uh, the riverboat uh, uh, traffic before we had the roads like we do today, that uh, most everything came in and out uh, of Russell County back in the day. And uh, it's yeah. going to be fun. It's yeah. especially good, to, always good to talk to David. I see him in court every now and then. But uh, Tony Sloan, uh, you know, what a gentleman. And uh, yeah. he, he's, he's been around, as you said. Tony, 84, 85 years old, still going strong every day, working and, um, you know, he, he's just a true gentleman and a longtime friend of mine, and I look forward to having him here on the program. Josh, um, we got just two or three minutes left here. Um, what are you working on this summer? What Trying to get back into your regular job, <laughs> I know. I understand that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've, I was told some, some good advice that I got, and I think, Jeff, you even told me this too, was um, when session's over, take a break. Yeah. Like you've got to, you've got to unwind a little bit and you've got to get out of that mindset of, you know, being in the legislature. Yeah, for, yeah. And, um, so, you know, right now I'm just, I've, I've been, you know, going around talking to industrial development authority and just, you know, trying to hit some, trying to hit some spots, just talk to folks and, and, uh, you know, tell them some of the good things that we've done during session and, uh, tell them where some of the federal money that we allocate is going. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's super important. Um, uh, and um, you know, we, huge chunk of money into broadband, uh, into water and infrastructure, and that's guys, that federal money, that's our money. Yeah, that's your yeah. money, that's my money, that's taxpayer money that 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 we have spent. So, making sure people know that you know we have put three hundred million in broadband to the last mile, two hundred fifty million into water and infrastructure. These are all very important things that people need to know. 
your money's coming back to you yeah. and it's going to benefit you. But, uh, you know, just trying to get that message out, talk about some of the things that, that we've done. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the interim because I think it's going to be a good time to start planning for bills to pass next year. Um, and people always say, well, I like, like that question that you just got, that's how they start. Sure. And yeah. it, it starts with that idea and then it just morphs in, into the into the bill. So um, I always encourage people: if you got an idea, let me let me know. And a lot of times it might be a federal issue and something we can't you know can't really do. But uh, two hundred fifty million dollar for water and sewer infrastructure yes. improvements uh, has that been specifically earmarked yet, or is that just put into the uh, infrastructure Kentucky KIA. Infrastructure Authority? Yeah. So KIA will be will be administering that money. Um, what they did was they they split uh, the 250 million uh, by county. So each county got a, a portion of money, and I've talked to both our mayors about that. Uh, and Louisville was handled a little bit different because they get money from I think another source. I mm -hmm. can't remember all the details on that. The Metropolitan yeah, Sewer District, and they would have sucked up a lot of yeah. money. So um, so a lot of that money is coming is trickling right back down to the people here at home, and I think that's so important that you know those taxes you've been paying are going to come back. Yep. And uh, so that that could be um, – I wish I had the numbers in front of me of what Russell County uh, specifically was getting, but uh, but it'll help a lot with our infrastructure. Yeah, water and sewer infrastructure is so important, and uh, it's a good expenditure of money. Josh, any as we wrap this up, how many miles did you put on your truck? Quite a few. You know, <laughs> Quite uh, a few. one thing about you, uh, you spent very few nights away. You drove – a lot. You told me before the session. I said you get you an apartment or uh, a condo lodge or whatever. You right. didn't do that because uh, you want to be home with your children and your wife at night. That's you, right. Yeah. Um, I uh, that road get any shorter? <laughs> you know, for me, it was it was it was a great time going up. Sometimes in the mornings, you know, most of the time I would be calling calling people. Um, I would also put on committee meetings and listen to ones that I'm not in the committees I'm not on and would be listening to, you know, the bills that would be coming up. So I try to utilize that time and then going home, if it was late or at night, just, <laughs> you know, just, just turning it off for, for a little bit. Cause like I said, you've got to get out of that. I had to get out of the mindset of Josh's legislator and going to dad, yeah. you know, and husband. So, yeah. Well, proud of you, Josh. Thank you for joining us yeah. here this morning. And, uh, uh, always a pleasure. We'll have you back you again before session starts. Well, I appreciate that, and congratulations to Ryan. I know you guys are proud of. We are. That, Thank you very much. Yeah, we're excited. Job. Oh, he'll be back before then. Football season. Oh yeah, football season. <laughs> I forgot yeah, about oh, yeah. that. Yeah. All right, for Josh Branscombe, State Representative Tony Kerr, I'm Jeff Hoover. Again, be sure and join us next Friday on All Things. We will be talking about the history of Rowena. This is WJRS Jamestown, Russell Springs, Kentucky.